Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we are talking about the end of the Champions League group stage as Manchester United and Newcastle United go out not with a bang but a whimper. As Manchester City and Arsenal cruise through, we'll be asking, can an English team reach the final? And we'll also assess the other contenders to win the trophy. Joining me, Tom Clark. Today we have Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, our resident former footballer turned pundit, Gregor Robertson. And as it's Christmas, we've got a second special guest in just one week. He played more than 200 times for Wimbledon's crazy gang before going on to manage and coach at 11 clubs, including Crystal Palace, Reading and West Ham. Wally Downs is our special guest on today's show. Wally, welcome to the Game Podcast. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah. You left out Barcelona and Real Madrid, though. I did. Well, I wanted to leave that for you to bring up, you know, your kind of your special secret career in Spain's La Liga. Uh, we can come on to that and your European football expertise in when we discuss the Champions League, which we're going to dive into right now. Um, should we start with Newcastle, I think, of the two Uniteds? Yes. Um, beaten 2-1 by AC Milan to finish bottom of their group. Uh, and Martin, you were just saying before we came on air... Uh, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. You're not particularly impressed by this Newcastle. Well, no, I'm, no it's nothing. I'm impressed with Newcastle, as everyone knows, but I'm not particularly impressed with the the way. No one loses anymore. I, I don't know if you've noticed this. It, 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 I don't know if it's we've got into this touchy feely type thing where we're scared to hurt anyone's feelings. But it, it, you know, Australia retained the Ashes, and it, and it was like this great big triumph and. And if you look at the sports personality of the year, Mary Earp, 7-1 on favour. It's a year when England didn't win the World Cup and we didn't qualify um, as Team GB for the Olympics. And looking at Newcastle, everyone is saying, oh, this proves um, you know, that they're ready for European football. And I get it's a, it was a really hard group, much harder than anyone else's. Newcastle finishing bottom of that group is totally different to Manchester United finishing bottom of their group. However, they're winning 1-0 at home against AC Milan. PSG didn't do their job last night. If PSG had won, Newcastle lay out the tournament. But PSG didn't win. They drew. So Newcastle had to hang on to a 1-0 lead at home to AC Milan, who are the third best team at the moment in an Italian league that no one particularly talks up anymore. And they got beat 2-1. So... I would be very disappointed if I was a Newcastle fan. And I realise where they were two or three years ago. Absolutely, I realise where they were two or three years ago. And I realise that anything involving the Champions League is beyond their wildest imaginations. But it's a little bit like that, the plucky lower league team being 1-0 up at Anfield with five minutes to go and getting beat 2-1 in the cup or whatever. There comes a point where you think... All we needed to do was hang on here for five mm. minutes. All we needed to do, and all they needed to do was hang on to that one nil at home, and they've ended up getting beat two one. And I'd be really disappointed if I was a Newcastle fan, and I'd be really disappointed if I was Eddie Howe, because if PSG had won, well, then that's fair enough. There's nothing you could do about that. It was out of your hands in that respect. But PSG didn't win, so if Newcastle hold on to a one nil lead, they're in the last sixteen. Yeah, and I'd be disappointed with that. Wally, what do you make of Martin's assessment there? Well, well, he's he's right because if he says that uh, AC Milan aren't really revered as much as they was, but they have a Europe a Championship, uh, the Euro European cha- Championship uh, experience. Yeah. they know what to do in a one. If they were one new up against Newcastle, Newcastle don't come back and win two one. Mm. So Newcastle saying, uh, have moved on from where they were two or three years ago, but they've got to look at this as a, a learning thing. You know, Eddie's been in this sort of situation before. 
not European, but where he would have to see out a game 1-0. Perhaps he didn't do enough to see the game out there. I mean, whether it was the excitement of the crowd and getting caught up in it and wanting to play the same game, I don't know. But uh, I didn't see the game, but I don't know what their formation finished up, but mine would have been something like 4-6-none, four, four, you know, yeah, yeah. and killed that game off. But it definitely wasn't like that, was it? It was a bit end-to-end and a bit mm. a bit mad, really. It, got, it all got too loose. Yeah. Well, I mean, all AC Milan loose. must have been thinking, we've got a chance here if they're playing like that, yeah. you know, and, once they get a sniff there, then you know the, the, the balance changes completely. What have you made of Newcastle generally? Because obviously, Martin, you're making the point of we know where they were a couple of years ago, and in, this, it's, in that respect, it's a brilliant mm. achievement. But also, the, you've got to say we know where they were two months ago, and we were on this podcast saying they've got four points from two games. Yeah, here we go. This is a chance. What, Wally? What do you make of them this season in the Champions League? What, how will they reflect overall? Do you think? Well, I think what they've what they've had is an owner bounce. You know, you talk mm. about a manager's bounce. When the new owners came in, everyone's jumped on it because they've had such a fallow period of time. Yeah. Eddie's done his own work while he's not in, in management and coming and, and put in place how he wants to manage. And everything took off for a year. Now, I think the last two two months, they've sort of struggled a little bit with injuries and the bounce has finished a little bit. Now, if he can go again in January... And, and relight the fires again, then, mm. then that'll be it. Because a lot of this, uh, a lot of Newcastle's success is based on what their fans want from them, what the expectation is now, and the players having to deliver over and above every year, every, every game. Because yeah. you know they haven't got real quality right the way through the side, but what they have is like Martin's talking about to a lower league mentality. They're, they've got a sort of underdoggy uh, attitude to the, to the way things were. You know, people didn't really want them to succeed straight away when they got the money and there was all questions asked about that but they gave it a right go and now it's levelled out and they've got to you know they've got to go again really Yeah I'll come back to that point about potentially going again in the transfer window Gregor what would you say your assessment of this kind of not just this performance but now overall with the group stage with Bowie now ending up bottom of that group I think there's a lot to feel regretful about after that after the first two games after hammering PSG at home um and particularly the, the Dortmund game at home, that was a real disappointment. And obviously losing back-to-back. You can come back to the PSG game away and, you know, the, they were unfortunate, yeah, well, of like course, um, with the Livermento handball. Um, and then, and then so then you do, you do come back to this one game, though. It was all in this one game, and Martin's mm. right. I think there's a lot to feel regretful about in this one game itself as well because the game became open just as they became looked more exhausted than they have at any point yes, in the season as totally, well. Totally. So like they had to bring off Kieran Trippi. Livermento came over to the other side and that's when Leal started to do something in the game. Because uh, he looked knackered. Livermento mm. was someone we were seeing like, a few weeks back. Like He was getting a, the odd game in the, Carlin, in, the, mm. in the Carabao Cup and whatnot. I think he's a player of potential. Now they're relying on him. Yeah. Like, he's having to play week after week. He looked knackered. Was he injured, Trippier? I think so. They said they said afterwards that he kind of walked past really gingerly past the uh, you know the the pundits after like on the side I of the pitch. Coming off with gingerly, <laughs> <laughs> was, was a thing when I was playing. I don't know what the injury was, but I think I think he, he's got an unnamed injury. That's what that's what even Martin Hardy wrote in his report today. An unnamed so. gingerly. <laughs> gingerly, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, because obviously you wouldn't think like, why would they take off Trippier? Exactly. Even Maybe. if he's injured, you can leave him on and just have, have him block a hole, bring somebody else. You did watch, the, look at the subs and think they were strange. You put on Dan Byrne and uh, took off Anthony Gordon and put on uh, Isaac, and you're thinking, oh, that's why are you doing that unless you have to. So mm. I think I think he must have had to. Mm. Mm. But they did. It just There's no I, way they need to play with two strikers when they're one nil up with 
15 minutes to go, no chance. So no. is that naivety on Eddie Howe's part, do you think, Wally? Or? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say naive because he's, he's managed a lot of games. Mm. You know, he, he would have been in that scenario stacks of times and whether it's his policy, I mean, we always had a policy at, at Bury whenever we, when I was there and we won the league. As soon as we went 1-0 up, could have been in the 15th minute, just withdraw. We played 4-4-2, but mm. we draw one, go 4-4-1-1. Yeah. You know, just to block it up a little bit and and if in that situation last night, it seems a, a daft thing to have two men up front against AC Milan. Yeah. So going back to your point about going again in the transfer window, and you're obviously talking there about Kieran Trippier. Do you think he maybe needs to sign some more experienced players, some more high-level players in terms of these occasions where, like Kieran Trippier, he'll have been there before and he knows maybe in those little moments when to put the foot on the ball, when to boot it out, when to take a foul, etc. Well, I think it's the quality of player. You know, they've. Sh- Eddie's shown that he can that he can put a good side together. He's he, uh, he's shown that he can get them playing for him. The fans are on board with it. Now they need to improve the quality. You know they they can't keep buying. With all due respect, like Joe Linton's been great, but he's a very energetic guy. He's, he's up and down, and, and and they need some more quality than they have if they want to attempt the top four on a regular basis. Yeah, because Mark- they're, they're playing on energy and and legs and enthusiasm and the crowd behind them, and that can only take you so far. Yeah. In the, at the highest level, Martin, where do you think they go now? Then, not just whether in the transfer window, but this season generally. Obviously, had Sandro Tonali missing for a long time now. Uh, other in, injuries and problems and things they've had the Champions League to contend with that means that in the league they're a little bit maybe behind where they would like to be how, how do they approach the rest of the season well I in think Newcastle? look they, they're the team from outside uh, of the top four when people are looking at Aston Villa and uh, Newcastle are possibly the team outside the, the top four that you can most see breaking into it but it, it needs players to, to stay fit for starters the, the core, and they need to they probably do need to go again in, in January but again it, it's how much they're allowed to go again I, one of the reports that I read this morning said all oh, the money in Saudi Arabia couldn't get Newcastle into the last 16 you think well no it's not all the money in Saudi Arabia it's the amount of money that they're allowed to spend that, that, that they've got at their disposal because there's a lot of limitations and they don't want to end up where Manchester City are facing a lot of charges and uh, and all of this, so they're trying to uh, to play by those rules, and so it is. It's not quite as easy as it looks. And one of the positions, you know, the Tonali position, it's a very very careful balance they've got to strike because they've bought Tonali and he will be available for the most part of next season. I think he misses the first month, doesn't he? You know, so. You can't just buy another Tonali in that position because then you've given yourself a big problem next mm. year because you can't keep them both happy and you've got Grimashi in that position. And and, and so it, it's it's very difficult. It's going to need a lot of skill. Fortunately, they've got Dan Ashworth as uh, their head of recruitment and Dan has done a very good job everywhere he's been. Um, and you'd think would have a list, of, uh, a list of suitable targets. But they look a little bit short. The talisman at the moment's Wilson up front, isn't it? and it, yeah. he barely plays, or he yeah. comes back and he misses again. So that's that, yeah. that's a, a typical position that got to fill for sure. Mm. Gregor, are you agree going forward? Yeah, look, it's it's a balancing act going forward. Like one one thing again, like their 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 revenues will increase, and that allows them to spend more. And yeah, it's the kind of a bigger picture, which also means not qualifying as as a blow in that regard. Yes, too. absolutely. I think it was pointed out in in. Uh, Maybe Charlotte's or Paul Hurst's 
uh, piece as well, the same with Manchester United. They they always budget to to reach at least the quarterfinals, and that was, there's something like a thirty million uh, shortfall now. So that, that affects what you can spend. Mm. Which Newcastle is madness, are mixed out though, aren't they? Even that they can't sell any more shirts, can they? They can't. Yeah, well, that, see, that is also a problem. One of the problems that Newcastle have got, and, it, and it's strange, and this is why Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, might be a different market for them. But one of the problems that Newcastle have got is they're a huge team in Newcastle. That that is, and, and that's a that's a big problem for them at the start, because what they are in many ways, we all regard Newcastle as a as a huge team, but beyond these shores. You're looking at a, a club without a great European pedigree, without this great global renown and everything. They're very, very comparable uh, to a team like Schalke in Germany. That Everyone in Germany knows how big Schalke are. They've got a 70,000 capacity stadium in Gelsenkirchen, for God's sake. If you've ever been to Gelsenkirchen, it's a very, very small place. By you know to have a seventy thousand capacity stadium, and it's an old mining. You know when you the, the the film that they used to show before Schalke played showed fellas coming straight out of coal mine straight into the stadium, and and it's this massive massive club. But if you were to ask people in this country, the biggest teams in Germany, they'd say Munich and Dortmund, mm. and then if you ask another generation, they'd start talking about Hamburg, who I don't even think are in the top division anymore, because. You you remember sort of European occasions and everything, and, and Schalke haven't had that many of them. And Newcastle are a similar sort of club. We know how uh, big Newcastle are because we've grown up with Newcastle and 50,000 crowds when they were doing no good. Um, but they haven't got that same earning potential at the moment as a lot of their contemporaries because they haven't got that global market. That's why Saudi Arabia could be quite important for them if they could turn Saudi Arabia into a nation of Newcastle mm-hmm. fans. But Manchester United have got there first as well. Yeah, if, you, if you see Newcastle on a Friday night, everyone's got a Newcastle shirt on. If you drive outside of Newcastle 10 <laughs> miles, you never see one. Mm. No. You know, when you're abroad, you might see Liverpool, Man City yeah. shirts, and but you never see Newcastle. Martin Hardy kind of struck on that point in his piece this morning as well about they've just released a, a survey to their to their season ticket holders I think about uh, improvements to St James's Park and talking mm. about a sushi bar and like uh, you know vegan yeah, options and stuff and they're like <laughs> <laughs> no they're, they say you know this is the sort of the, the world that they're entering into yeah. it needs the, the uh, well, growth kind of expansion and there's still something about Newcastle they think well Man City have a, have just a, a one club city Man City had a very similar problem Man City were trying to you know these executive seats they're right in front of the press box at Manchester City and you know you can you know they've got these great big executive seats and uh, I can't remember what it's called Century Club or something like that anyway um, but actually it's not that kind of club and all the Manchester City fans that were sort of displaced from that area have got the raving hump about it because they don't see it's that kind of club. And of course, when you're selling those executive seats, they're sold to the business class, say. So they've got their mates in, you know, who might support the other team. They're entertaining a client or whatever. And I've sat there and seen murders in, 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 in the executive because someone's jumping up when Liverpool have scored or whatever because he's there as a guest of a Man City fan who's got four of these seats 
two two of them go up there, Liverpool fans. The Man City fans sort of in the block next door want to strangle them or what? It's not that kind of club. Mm, yeah. Much you less know. like the London clubs where that's sort of yeah, it's not a that, thing. You know. that, yeah, absolutely. Manchester United as well where it's quite common or whatever. There's certain clubs, you know, the difference between Liverpool and Everton mm. is, is, is very much like that, <coughs> you know. I've said all that. I mean, like, they were ahead of schedule. Yeah. Oh, in, massively ahead of schedule. And they were kind of... It was nip and tuck. They were, they can count themselves unfortunate in, at certain moments in certain games, yeah. but they will will have some regret, I think. Yeah. Well, one team where you could say it probably wasn't nip and tuck is Manchester United, where we kind of saw this coming. <laughs> Wally, they're a team that we've talked about endlessly on this podcast, and Martin and Gregor have passed many, many judgments and many views. So I'm going to come to you, and I want to know wh- whether you think this is just something that's so, um, you know, so corrosive off the pitch at the club that any manager couldn't fix it or whether there is some blame that has to be laid at Eric Ten Hag's feet um, I don't think Ten Hag can be blamed he's, he's, he's not bought the best if you look at the amount of money he's spent but he's in a, he's in a terrible position there you know I, th- I think as we were talking earlier it's, it's a cyclical thing Man United are, are in trouble for 15, 15 years now haven't won too much haven't got the championship but they've got to suck it up they've tried you know Everything to to compete with Man City's and to a certain degree Arsenal and Liverpool, but it's not that sort of a club. You know, we was talking the other day. It's built on Alex Ferguson being a down to earth socialist guy, a worker, and getting good players in to work for him. And now it's since Fergie's gone, they've gone for a series of superstar managers who have bought superstar players at the wrong time. Because I think these players have come in and because they're behind Man City. And, and Liverpool to a certain degree, they look at it and think, "Well, we're not going to, we're not going to beat them." Mm. And I think that the, I think that's the, the the attitude through the club now. I think they've they've turned it in because they can't be the top two. They're not putting the effort in to really make themselves third or fourth, and yeah. I think that's why it's slipping away from them. So it's the delusions of grandeur almost in th- terms of I, that's what they have now. But that's all gone because that 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 ended with Fergie. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I certainly think they need a sea change. You know, what's wrong with going out and buying? The three best players in the championship, three people unknown, and giving that a go because they keep buying these big players, mm. and there's no industry there, there's no cohesiveness, there's no common purpose really. Yeah. I don't think. So you talk about workers and under Alex Ferguson and that kind of work rate and effort and you know all those kind of um, you know, old-fashioned. Uh, well, if you look, he bought Steve Bruce, didn't he? You know, yeah. From from Norwich, if, but it's it's difficult for Ten Hag now. If if Ten Hag. I don't know enough about him, but he's had an easy job at Ajax. You know, winning at Ajax isn't that difficult, apart from the fact that they're doing no good mm-hmm. this year. But for the last 20 years, it's been a relatively yeah. simple job. If they want to tough it out and keep him, and he changes and, and, and sort of delves into buying some younger, hungrier players, then Man United can, can come again. But I don't think they can come again with the current policy that they have because they're buying players that Man City can't get or Liverpool don't want. And you've got to be a top player to play for Man United. And some of these players aren't top players, but they're playing top money for them mm. and expecting top performances out of them. And they're just not getting them. And these players can afford to just, for want of a better word, toss it off, which mm. I think they are doing. Yeah, Martin, how would you react to some of that analysis about no. the, you know, the playing staff that Eric Ten Hag has got to work with? Would you agree with Wally's assessment about maybe looking to drop down in terms of prestige well, we were, and quality to get a better, but, more effort? Well, Wally and I were talking bef- before this and... So when was the last time they went into the championship and, and identified someone and, and went right this is a good player and I was thinking I'm prepared to be corrected on this Daniel James 
Mm, probably, um, yeah. so, Now, he didn't get the chances that Anthony has had. No. Um, now... He played maybe, quite a bit under it, Solskjaer, but yeah, in bits and fits but in and bits stuff. And, but, you know, now you look at Anthony, Anthony's... Anthony starts week in, week out. Has he been there nine years, Mark? Uh, no, that's Martial. That's Martial's been there nine years. Um, Anthony hasn't got a goal since last April and hasn't got an assist since last May, which is some going for a winger playing in a you know a very advanced position for Manchester United that you haven't managed to create or score a goal since last season. Um and you you look at that and think, but he's got chance after chance after chance. Daniel James, I don't think, did get chance after chance. Mm. Um, and they did used to do that. You think Lee Sharp came from, I want to say, Torquay United. Um, you know, there was an... Alistair Middlesbrough. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that United were built on a sort of a work ethic that doesn't seem to be there. I mean, the other night, the most disappointing thing with it the other night, really, was that... They've got to win the game. That's that's the bottom line requirement. To, to make anything happen at all, they've got to win the game. And they created one chance. Now, you can go back to Teddy Sheringham talking about that Alex Ferguson team and, and most famously the 3-0 down, 5-3 up uh, match against Tottenham. And he said the most exciting sight in football, and I quote this all the time, most exciting sight in football is Manchester United chasing the game. Well, actually, against Bayern Munich, they're chasing a game from the minute it gets the minute it kicks off because they've got to win, and they create one chance against Bayern Munich. Now, the the best Manchester United teams would have been going like madmen to get a goal mm. in that match. It it wouldn't have finished Manchester United nil. To come back to my question to Wally, then is that Eric Ten Hag's fault, or is that the players that he's got? Well, Eric Ten Hag has to uh, bear some responsibility for the players that he's bought, but there has been. As what he said, it's it's one manager after the other, following a a very similar uh, sort of policy, and you end up with this mishmash of a team. Greg, look at look at this players he put on, Johnny Evans. Yeah, thirty six, and I think probably would would have thought his Champions League days were behind him not yes. long ago. Uh, mm. Menu, who could be a good good player, young lad. Yeah, Wan Bissaka, just flattered to deceive. Pelestri and Hannibal. Mm. So I, I, I didn't I, see I, the game. He bought those on. That mm. was his subs. Mm. What, they're not. Are they, they, they subs for Manchester? Who United? got on? Hmm? All of those got on. They all yeah. got on. Yeah, that was the five. Johnny six. Evans and Wan Bissaka came on. Yeah. Chasing Johnny the game. Evans. Well, well, Harry yeah, Maguire was, was injured. Harry, Harry Maguire, Maguire came off. Yeah. Uh, Luke Shaw was obviously injured as well. So that was unfortunate. That's why Wan Bissaka went on. But that sums up Manchester United squad. And that's not all Ten Hag's fault. Yes, the players. Martin's absolutely right. He's had too much influence on recruitment and, mm. and the players he's highlighted mm. and obviously said, you know, who's worked with in the past, most of them haven't worked. But I look fundamentally I watched this and thought they did well to stay in the game. Yeah. Like Paul you know, everything we're talking about everything we're talking about, Man United and what Wally was saying about the delusions of grandeur, Paul Hurst pointed out in his his piece today. Since Alex Ferguson retired, Bayern have played 25 Champions yeah, League knockout ties. Real Madrid have played 31. Mm. Barcelona 18. Man City 23. And <laughs> United have played Eight, six. Six. 
six games. Six knockout ties. Yeah. Since since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, so this is not this should not be you know a shock but or a surprise to their us. Their numbers are similar to like RB Leipzig and and and, and stuff like that. So that Monaco, I think uh, they were. Yeah, like, so, like Benfica were seven. Yeah, like, so, so that's the sort of that's they're the sort a second, third tier European team now. And if people will listen to this and, and like be, I'm sure if you're a Man United fan, will be angry about that. But that's the fact. That's a fact. In the last decade, that's what Manchester United have become. And if you look at the team on the pitch and you look at the players that they put on to try and win a game that they were chasing in you know historic fashion that Manchester United should do at Old mm. Trafford, you'll see why it didn't happen. And there's so much. Um desperation almost for them to be on the up again for them to have you know this thing about turning the corner they've turned the corner they've turned, they've turned mm. so many corners <laughs> end up back where you started but like that Chelsea game last week um, and everyone going oh Manchester United played really well and when we were here last week I said I'm not sure they did that's the worst Chelsea performance I've seen in about 20 years, Chelsea, mm. last week at Old Trafford. It was really poor. And it's not a case of not giving Manchester United credit. It was just a very poor performance by Chelsea, I thought. And I wasn't as encouraged, say, by that Man U performance to think, oh, right, this is it. They, they kick on from here. Because I, I thought the opposition was... was un- Unnaturally weak, really, for Chelsea. Yeah, and there there are problems there. There are real there are real problems there with Manchester United because nothing is greatly consistent. They're always even when they're winning, you can always like the Everton game, which I thought was one of their better games. Certainly the second half, but the first half, you know, Everton came flying back at them after after the fabulous goal after three minutes. But what I remember about that game, and I hope I haven't remembered it, uh, misremembered it, but what I remember about that game is that Manchester United got the kick-off and they went there and then passed it back to Anana, who then launched it forward. And I'm thinking, this is Manchester United. This is this is not a, a team that, you know, I would be disrespectful. It's it's not Wimbledon in ninety you know, where where there were you know, that was that could be a that could be a plan. This is Manchester United. Like, whack, let's mm. have that. And then after three minutes the guy scored a, the greatest goal in, in ten years and so you forget about that. Yeah. But you look at it and you wonder what they are. Are are, are they are they hitting it long? Are they knocking it about? I don't what think the, the way the, the way the game's played now doesn't suit Man United because when whenever I've took a team up there or played up there, you go out into the field and, and you know you're, you're ass against the wind straight away. Yeah. The way yeah, football's yeah. played now, it's slow and methodical and build up. That 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 doesn't suit what Man United should be about. You know they, they would always that? get at you and non-stop coming at you for ninety minutes. Now you see the centre backs Harry Maguire to the other guy back and forth. There's no, there's no real urgency. There's no bombardment of it. But that's the way football is at the moment. You know, it's mm. cyc- you know that's a, again a cyclical thing. Whether that will change again, I don't know. I'm interested in Wally's point about some of the signings and kind of you know I think you kind of said slum, not slumming it, but kind of getting back to basics a little bit um, in terms of some of the signings as well. Um, on the Times website at the minute, Paul Hurst and Constantine Eckner writing about potential departures for Jaden Sancho. Rafa Varane, Casemiro, even the great Casemiro, who was mm. the kind of big, big signing and brilliant. But could, everyone could see that he was too old. Yes, but this, so this was my point. I was then going to say, do, do you then go 
you're quite right. He's a good example. Sancho of what was saying. like 21, though. I mean, yes. it's not yeah, predicted to age. Everyone could see that he'd had an appalling year the year before. In Germany. No, I don't think that's fair. I think Sancho like was a highly rated player, and he's just been sucked into the vortex that is Manchester United. Like, well, you really point out in that though, he was 73 million pounds. He's on 300 grand a week. Yeah. What are the chances of a anyone paying that money, mm. paying the salary that's not in Saudi Arabia, or b them recouping even half of that? In a transfer fee, but that, I, don't, I don't think he had that great last year at Dortmund. I think he no. was there were a lot of clouds over him there. He didn't finish as well as Bellingham did, and there was issues with his timekeeping and turning up there. I think they paid vastly over. I know I think there was a red flag over him mm. right away from then. Bellingham, no, him, yes, yeah. But to then come on to the idea of you know something more proactive, who do they go for? If you think back to the summer, and Martin, you talked a lot about. Um, you know, Declan Rice. Manchester, why would Manchester United not in for Declan Rice? Why were they not going for him? I would then drop down a couple of levels. Why are Manchester United not in for James Ward-Prowse, say? <laughs> to, to, to come to Wally's point about good pro, you know, experience. Do you, remember, do, do you know why Arsenal turned it around 18 months ago or two years ago when he signed Ramsdale and the, and the other... Is it White, the other guy? Yeah, yeah, Ben White. And he got rid of a, ba- a Ben Yank. Mm. And, and I saw the first or second game they played, Ramsdale made a save... White got the clearance away and they both jumped up, fist bumped or chest bumped, whatever they did. And I thought, that's a completely different thing from what I've been Players with from character Arsenal. then. That's exactly what Man United don't have at the moment. Yeah. Martin. I mean, Harry, Harry Maguire has come through it a little bit, but I think he's burnt his bridges at United. I think he needs to move on. But they they need to get some spine in that team, someone yeah. who's going to sort the dressing room out. Yeah. Well, you talk about Arsenal. That brings us nicely on to finishing the Champions League section on teams that did progress. Um, Arsenal and Man City kind of cruising through, if you like. Do we think they are in the category of teams that we can consider winners? Manchester City obviously going through having won every game. Uh, Real Madrid did the same. Wally, are you kind of looking at the strength of those two teams and saying they should be looking semi-final at the least? Well, I, th- I think you know City having won it can win it again. You know the hardest thing the, the arbitrage they had around their neck was having not never won it, mm. and uh, I think they'll push on as far as they can. I, th- I think they'll they got great chance of winning it. Arsenal, not so much. I think they can progress, but they seem that they're 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 more experienced than than Newcastle. But right into that latter stages of it, I just think you're going to be found wanting a little bit there, Martin. Yeah, I can I can see that. It, it might not be England's year. We got very used to um, English teams winning it. English teams being in the final. You don't know. Bayern Munich look a good team to me. Real Madrid have uh, have, have qualified uh, with a bullet yet again. Um, and, you know, it cuts your chances down when you've only got two in there mm-hmm. out of 16. You know, we're quite used to getting being a quarter of the uh, round of 16 and now we're one-eighth of it. So that lessens your chances straight away. There's always the potential for the two English teams to draw each other in the quarter-final and that cuts, the, that cuts your chances again and that's just percentages. Um, I think they've both got the potential to win it, but I do think there are other teams in Europe this season that could could um, give us some unfair money. Gregor, final word from you on the Champions League going forward. I know you love a prediction. Go on. <laughs> I, yeah, I think Man, Man City are the, the best team I've seen so far. I agree that Bayern and Real Madrid will be close. And then when you're talking about Arsenal, it'll depend on the draw. And, mm. But they'll, they'll be in with a chance against anyone except those two. I think they'll still be with a chance with those two, but they're, they're on another level, I think. But also, I think it's worth pointing out that's the, that's the end of the Champions League as we know it. Yeah. It's the yeah. final year in the current format and we're um, yeah, into next the Swiss uh, chessboard one. Yeah, the Swiss, <laughs> the Swiss thing. But then again, it is 
it is the system that is used to decide some of the great tournaments. Yu-Gi-Oh cards, for instance, <laughs> uses the uh, uses the Swiss system. Um, you know, I'm not sure about Pokemon, but I know Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> there you go. Well, listeners, if you've got any idea what Yu-Gi-Oh is, please do get in touch. Tom.clark at thetimes.co.uk. And also, if you've got any strong views Maybe on who... Dragon Ball Z as well. <laughs> <laughs> on who will win the Champions League, you can get in touch with me as well. Uh, that's the end of part one. In part two, we are going to be discussing the life and times of Wally Downs. Stick with us. <laughs> <laughs> Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I'm joined by Martin Samuel, Gregor Robertson and our special guest today, Wally Downs. Now, Wally, I wanted to talk about your playing career, but more. But, but first, before any of your kind of achievements as a player, I was reading four leg breaks in your career. Yeah, well, I had a broken kneecap at 16. That was the first thing I had. And then I uh, had four ankle breaks. I played 200, however many games, 250, I think, by the time I was 24 and 265 by the time I was 28. Right. So I had a break year back, four consecutive breaks. And so was this, you know, part of a footballing era where tackles are a bit more loose and a bit more uh, aggressive, should we say, yeah. or carelessness on your part? How, how are we getting all these leg breaks? Forget the ball, get on with the game. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was, there was, obviously, there were more physical challenges. Yeah. On the turn. I must have had some... Well, I did say they had some weakness there in, in the bones, but uh, they're fine now. I've got a couple of pins in them now and I no problems at all with them. Do you think it would have also been different in terms of your recovery and recuperation that if you'd have been a player now, you might have had a longer playing career and recovered from those injuries yeah. in a different way? Yeah, there was a sort of a general lax amount of work put in when you, when you was out. If you was out for a sort of in, in a pot for six weeks, there was no real physio work done then right. it was like as soon as you get your leg done come back in and so you didn't maintain a level of fitness that they do today plus so you weren't kind of in the training ground even when you're back you know doing physio. You, might be, you might be told go in and do some weights at the ground on your own but you know the, the motivation to do that wears off after a while yeah no big one-on-one sessions with the physio you know getting it on the yeah Instagram in the sportsman pub yeah. next to the ground <laughs> <laughs> 
different times, should we say? <laughs> yeah, they were. Um, so then your playing career with Wimbledon, the crazy gang. Uh, I was reading that potentially you being accused of being the chief instigator of the crazy gang. How would you how would you respond to that? Well, accusation? I was there. I was there from the get go. So you know that was probably the thing. Is that a yes then? Well, it is a yes. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a, the friend of Martin and I's Tony Stenson who was at the Mirror, and we, we'd had a couple of good cup runs, and they came down and did one of those pen picture things and asked me, and, and you know and he said we're, we're just crazy, crazy guys, crazy gang. Yeah, and that was his big headline. And we beat Knotts Forest a couple of nights later, who were European champions and all that at the time. So it stuck. Yeah, and because we were being successful at that period, you know, it was good coverage, easy coverage for the journalists, and, yeah. and 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 easy for us just to reel it off all the time. And easy for these lazy sods like Martin, basically, is what you're saying. I would just like to say, if you if you were to hear any one of about. 50 stories from that time you would know why the, the crazy gang thing stuck and I would invite Wally to tell any of them but particularly the friendly against Leatherhead that's the, that's the only one I ever that's the, the one I want to hear the friendly against well, Leatherhead well this, this was my first game so they were crazy before before yeah. we went I was still a schoolboy and uh, Bassett was running the reserves then and uh, they used to like to play him. he was a midfield player in the first team but he liked to play centre back and get the ball out from the back and play and pass on it. So it's my first game. Dicky guy's in goal and it's a decent team. We're only playing Leatherhead because Harry hated a fellow called Chris Kelly who Leatherhead had a couple of great runs in the cup and he, he went up doing predictions and he was called Kelly the Lip or Chris the, the Lip. Leatherhead, Kelly, lip. Leatherhead Lip, that's right, yeah. Now Bassett and his team had won the Southern League a few a couple of years on the trot and they looked down and was like, winners but no consistency and hated the fact that he was getting all the credit so we play Leatherhead uh, first half is a corner and as it comes over I shout out keepers expecting Dickie Guy to come for it so he hasn't and they've headed it's gone over it wasn't a goal but he's got hold of me at half time and said there's only one person who calls keeper here and it's me not you it's like he didn't even know who I was yeah. and we go out to the second half Bassett gets the ball off a of dick Beats one player and it's in our own box. Fella comes in, he's just overplayed. It's a block tackle. Another one comes in, he's slid into him now, and there's a clash of heads as they come out. And he's not even out the 18 yard box now, and he's trying to come out expensive football. As he gets out of the box, he's tried to hit a 60 yard diagonal left to the, to the right wing. But this Kelly has chased him down. It's hit Kelly, gone smashing towards Dick's goal. Just missed. Dick's turned around to get the ball. We've all come back. It's going to be a goal kick again. But Dick hasn't come back from behind the goal. One of the fans has got the ball. Dick's wrestling with the guy to get the ball off of him. And now the fans are coming down and there's a little bit of Dick's right in the middle. So I've gone round to help Dick and pull the, get the ball off of him and whatever. And have a couple of players getting involved. And I'm looking through the gap where Dick and this guy are to and frying with the ball. And there's this fella running. He's jumped over and he's running towards Dick so I think one of the fans one of the fans yeah so I finished my little tussle here and as, Dick, as this coming through Dick I've gone round clocked this guy as he's coming through knocked his glasses off knocked him over and I and turned back to Dick who's looked at me I couldn't believe the anger in his face he said, what are you doing said, what do you mean I said the bloke was coming to go. he said that's my brother-in-law he was coming to help me so <laughs> So from the first, this is my first game. First half, I've called keepers away, and he's got me by the throat at <laughs> half time. 
and the second half I've clocked his brother in it. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't mostly... So that's <laughs> was, your debut? Was, that was my debut. And, and how old were you? And I was 15 then. 15? Yeah. <laughs> so I came into you a crazy team, to be fair. Blimey. I mean, this is quite the departure. I'm just, I'm just reflecting on I us having I, these well, big, big well, discussions around Champions what he said League afterwards, football. <laughs> what you said afterwards in the dressing room was, if ever you hit one of my family again, I said, Dick, <laughs> as if I'm going to find any of your family and start hitting them. I said, it's not going to happen. I didn't know he was. Well, I'm just telling you. But um, it, didn't, it didn't get you out of the team, though. You know, because for a lot of people, 15 clocking... catching. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, not that same. No. Well, but if you look at him, this is all going on. Bassett and, and Kelly are now rolling around on the floor, having a wrestle in the, in the 18 year Any box. idea what the score finished, that one? I can't remember. 4-2, I think, to someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dick let a fair few in that day after he got ruffled. He used to get ruffled a bit, Dick, so... Yeah. And then, so, in terms of your, then, your playing career from then, you, do you play as a midfielder, is that right? Well... To be fair, I played everywhere. I uh, I started I started um, I started in midfield. Bassett decided to go with a sweeper system after he went to um, to the World Cup in '82. Came back, put me sweeper. Went twelve games unbeaten, top of the league. Lost at Bristol City, and he changed it and said, "No, we're going direct now." So then I went to right wing. Because all he wanted was crosses, non-stop crosses and set pieces. So he had me on the right wing, Glenn Hodges on the left. Zero pace, but uh, <laughs> we were good at delivering the ball. In, in fact, yeah. that Wimbledon team for five years there, we held the record of uh, disciplinary points. We beat ourselves every year, and uh, and it, and it was the two wingers, a centre forward in three of those years. So it weren't a defenders kicking. It was where we were. Very aggressive, say, as a, as a, as a, an attacking side. Yeah. To, you know. And that obviously was part of the kind of the uh, the folklore, if you like, around that Wimbledon team. But was it as you know nakedly obvious as that? You know, in terms of getting stuck into the opposition, was that part of the team talks each game? Was that part no, of no, you know, no, or, no. or was it just you were you were just a physical team and it was a slightly different era of football? Well, we were. We, you had to be physical because if you look at those the divisions that we were coming through, the fourth and the third division. You know, you go to Rochdale and places like that on a Tuesday night. You got to be physical, and mm. you know, not not many uh, teams from down south had, had done well in the fourth division and the third division. You know, not many got promoted because of the difficulty of there may be us, Torquay, top of me, I can't think, in Northampton. Mm. The rest, you're going right the way up north, so you had to be able to look after yourselves. Plus. We were hard running and aggressive. That's that's what it was, you know. We were so you were fit physically, very fit, fit as well. yeah, very fit, yeah. If we used to piss him off in training, it was like go on three mile run and we'd have to yeah. run down Wimbledon Common for free. Well, I was going to say you were talking about the kind of rehab from your injuries in terms of the training, not particularly sophisticated, would we say, in terms of getting getting to that fitness? Uh, not no, not particularly f- sophisticated because uh, it was just shuttle runs and, and long distance runs into but um, but we do we'd get sent for a three mile run if we weren't if he thought we weren't performing well enough in training and we'd always finish with 10 shuttle runs at the end every day yeah so the level of fitness was high and uh, we were made to play that way and 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 teams struggled to to keep up with us to be fair yeah Gregor how do you reflect on hearing some of those stories from having that a career in the football league yourself in terms of some of the things Wally said about playing in teams up north you know and also some of the fitness uh, regimes that perhaps you'd, you'd have gone through yeah, I mean, uh, the main thing about the whole story is it's something that never happen, like, never really happen again, will it? The Wimbledon story. No, impossible. I mean, everyone when they talk about the Wimbledon stories from going from the fourth to the first, 
But it wasn't all beer and skittles. It was like, if you look at the sequence, it was, and these are the divisions, the numbers. When we came into the league, 4-4, 3-4-3, 4 one So it was 10 years to get there. But yeah. the, the like the, the last jump was done. Mm. But there was a lot of heartache and there was a lot up of relegation. Yeah. 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 I either got promoted or relegated for about four seasons. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily the kind of Luton. No, you know, no. We, you know, we were kids and... Uh, we got relegated with Dario and, that, and then Harry came in and put all his faith in the youngsters but again it wasn't enough and we got relegated but he stuck with us and the club stuck with him and, and that basis sort of by the time we got into the second division I suppose uh, the championship as it's now you know we had a lot of kids 21-22 played 150 games at, you know at, at various levels so we knew our job and we'd been well coached and uh, you know we, 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 we was more than Capable and prepared to go into the to the championship and the, and the Premier League, we'd beaten Notts Forest. We played Everton. You know, we, we'd had we'd showed we could turn it on when we had to. So we were coming. Yeah. The other thing is like when you, when you said that it was almost like a throwaway comment that we were like we were a, we were a crazy gang. Did it did it did that grow arms and legs? Is it something you eventually you, you kind of all together you thrived on and everyone had to become a part of? Yeah. If we hadn't have been successful as we was, we know would have drifted. At, away but because we kept getting promoted because we kept having cup runs it was great coverage for the journalists and, and for us and we played on it more and more yeah martin what do you remember from covering that oh, no, team no don't because <laughs> <laughs> no but what i remember i'm is, sure it'll be very complimentary say, that became like that became like the stamp yeah um because when bobby gould takes over for instance bobby's got a you know set of boxing gloves over his desk hasn't he and all that sort of stuff to um uh, Bobby's got a set of boxing gloves over his desk. You know, if anyone wants to have a disagreement, we'll put the gloves on and we'll sort it out. I, I doubt very much if Bobby Gould would have done that at any club he, he'd, he'd ever been at before. But because it was Wimbledon, it sort of fitted the mentality. And I'm not sure how many times they were used. I think they might have been used against Carlton Fairweather once, could, if at all. Who could be bothered to go and get the gloves? No. <laughs> <laughs> That <laughs> wouldn't have lasted in Harry's day. No, 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 no that's that's right. <laughs> and so, it, 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 but that became the stamp. That became the stamp of the club. And but what is also overlooked, it, you know, from that era, if you look at the players that they had as well coming through, and the players that were sold on, they had good players. Mm. They had very good players. Nigel Winterburn comes out of Wimbledon. Dennis Wise comes out of Wimbledon. There's very, very good players in there as well. Who was, the, who was the best that you played with at Wimbledon, did you say? Well, I think going on on achievements probably have to be Wisey or, or the goalie, Besson. Mm, he was yeah. very underrated, Besson. You know, he was, uh, I think Shilton and Clements was around at his time, but he was, you know, he was very, very good. Uh, just going on from that, we had, I think it was 11 players that had played in all four divisions by the time we got to the Premier League. And there was 13 that had come through the academy that played in the Premier League as well so mm. you know ev everything was, was bought through there was, as he says he, he picked up Nigel for nothing Dennis for nothing yeah and uh, yeah it was, it was an amazing achievement it won't happen again because players would get picked off now and taken from me whereas yeah. then you know he, he, Harry was very quick to tell us that we were useless and we wouldn't get anywhere else of any other clubs <laughs> and, that, and nobody ever sort of thought that, that 
any of our players could adapt and come out, but yeah. they could. Well, they didn't realise is we were good players playing in a system that nobody liked. Yeah. So when you talk about it, that's an interesting point. Nobody liked when you then came up against the bigger teams. You know, any fond memories of playing some of those bigger teams? No, and kind well, of it, it was wonderful to play against the Liverpool's and Man United's because Brucey and Palace didn't like the ball being turned around and fast chasing after them. Yeah. You know, it was, an, it was an anathema to how they would how they'd been dictating the league. You know, Liverpool knocking it about, and no one put it in behind them. And that's all we did. And you could see they didn't like doing it. Anson and Lawrenson and people like that running yeah. towards their own goal. Ratcliffe people, they just didn't, weren't used to it and didn't do it. When you were playing those teams, you know, it's something that um, some pundits now talk about, Roy Keane in particular, when, you know, players these days, a bit maybe too, too, too much respect between opposition players. When you're playing in those, are you kind of in the, in the dressing room beforehand going, let's go and give these guys a game? Well, that's the sort of thing we said, but there was, if we'd have... If we'd have been stupid to to go out and treat them with respect, we'd have got our asses kicked. Mm. We had to go out there and show them no respect and play the way we played. If we'd have got caught up in respecting Alan Hansen or Dale Gleish or any of them, you know, you, you'd have had no chance because you'd have tried to occupy the same area that they were in, and we we couldn't do that. We had to 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 play our own way. Uh, when you think about, it, we was, I don't remember playing a single game for Wimbledon where we weren't. The lowest paid, smallest budget for the whole squad, least supported. You know, we we should have never ever won a game, mm. even in the fourth division, going to Rochdale and places like that. We had the lowest budget, and that was we, always the mentality in yeah. terms of it, and that obviously helped, right? Yeah, but we, we didn't look upon ourselves as, as underdogs. But that's me just reflecting. Right. A couple of years ago, I thought every game I ever played. We was always the lowest budget. Mm. So progressing through the leagues, that became more obvious. But we started off in the fourth division at the lowest, and so we were used to never going out and getting cocky, never going out and and and, and thinking we were better than we were. You know, we had to, we knew we had to be bang on our game and all, all playing for one another every single time we played it, and that was a bonus. Mm. And that sort of playing to their strengths as well. I'll start telling this story, and Wallet can take it over, but. Um, Alan Cork and the uh, and the lack of service that he uh, claimed to be getting. This, this, this is what I mean about playing to their strengths. So who were you who were you playing? And I can't there? remember who was playing. He started doing it all the time. We was coming. We came in at half time. Bassett's going nuts, and me and Glenn Hodges used to sit next to each other in the corner, both the wingers. Yeah. And Corky, Corky was a terrific goal scorer, but he couldn't play football. He was useless. <laughs> <laughs> come off one day. Harry it's not my fault they keep passing the ball to me feet where'd you go with that so we've come in at half time and if we weren't doing very well Hodge would just get the programme out and start reading it Bassett would be ranting and he'd look over and he'd be him. reading the programme no, I'll be sitting next I'll be sitting next to him and I could put Hodge put the fucking programme away with him. and he'd be going Hodge put Harry put the programme down Hodge and he's talk, Nigel, you're not getting the ball for the Hodge, put the programme down. <laughs> and he went, Hodge never do it. Corky, what are you doing? Put put your boots back on, Cook. Harry, I'm not going out in the second half. Porky, put your boots back on. No, I'm not going out in the second half. Why not? Because them two won't cross the ball to me, Harry. And if they don't cross the ball to me, I can't edit. And if I can't edit, I'm no good. You know I'm no good. Corky, put your boots on. No, I'm not putting them on. Wally, Hodges, start crossing the ball to Corky, will you? <laughs> So we go out second half, put a couple of crosses in, Corky scores a goal, in we come. As we're walking off, he says, you know, I'll be taking these boots off every day, every half time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we knew as much about our game 
like Harry taught us really well how to play against it. And Corky was just making a, a point in the best yeah. way that he could. But uh, a very strong dressing room and uh, very irreverent dressing room as well. Yeah. Greg, are you, you reckon you'd have ever gotten away with reading the programme at half-time if you'd been losing? Purposely reading the programme. Yes. No interest in it either. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just to think what I <laughs> What a reaction a manager would be, though. But it's it's just it's incredible because like I played against Wimbledon at the very start of my career, Wimbledon, you know, just before the the real trouble started. And I've even spoken to people like Joby McEnough, who like this is a, a different generation, but he he came through as a youth team player there. Yeah. And the identity of the club was kind of had continued all that time, and he was saying that they, he came through in a similar sort of, you know ruthless environment as an academy player and that's what I don't know it's like it, 20, it was different after, after Bassett left and, I, and a few of us left and it was taken on more when they went to sort of sell us and it was more of a a caricature of it you know okay. they, they played up to a lot more Vinny Fash they, they'd stayed there and people coming in they really played up to the crazy okay. gang thing there. Okay. whereas really it had happened at in those four, four, three, two, three, all those years, there was that's where that all started, and it was picked. When I left, you know, when Vinny came, uh, Harry said to me, "We've got this kid coming in from non-league." Physios told me he's, he said, oh, "I know him." He said, "Well, physios told me he's a bit lively, so uh, look after him, will you? And uh, he'll be rooming with you, a bit lively." So, <laughs> so I had to look up <laughs> to try and see him through for the next eighteen months. But then when I went, he sort of. And he, he picked it up and, and really carried it. So how carried. old would Vinnie Jones have been when he when you were shepherding him through his young days? 21, 22. 21, right. Might, might have been a bit younger. And when you say a bit lively, anything that you could mention on a podcast? Or? Silence well, is definitely... So, yeah, <laughs> that was a pregnant silence. The, that uh, <laughs> we, he made his debut against Forrest and uh, he's caught the ball and give a penalty away at half-time. So when he's come in, <coughs> we used to have a kit man called Sid, old Sid Neil, and he's uh, he's walked in and he's he, he don't know what to do, he don't know what to say. And so he's, Harry's going round the room and he ain't said nothing to Vinny about it. So Vinny said to Sid, Sid, how do you think I'm doing? He said, I don't think you'll be needing that shirt next week. So. <laughs> <laughs> Even the kit man's putting you down. Everyone's in on it. Everyone's in on it. Absolutely ruthless is the right word, Gregor. Um, I mean, absolutely fascinating. We could, I'm sure we could listen to stories from the Crazy Gang all day. But I wanted to ask you about your coaching career as well, because coming back to those broken legs, they ultimately meant that you had to retire from playing. Is yep. that right? And then you Public went... demand, really. Yeah. Than <laughs> <laughs> you then went into coaching, did your coaching badges. And as I said, you coached lots of places. Crystal Palace, Brentford, Reading, Southampton, Gillingham, West Ham. Which of those time? which was your favourite as, as a starting question? Which did you enjoy the most as a coach? Uh, I'd have to say Reading was the most successful. Mm. So obviously that's enjoyable while it's going. But as a Londoner and as a coach and a member of staff working at West Ham was sort of the best I feel that I could have achieved because if you look at the ownership and the management at, at the clubs, various clubs there, like Wenger had his people and everybody who came in, Mourinho had these Portuguese guys, and you look at because West Ham had English, 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 you know, I, that was just, I'm looking at it thinking, well, this is the the best chance you're going to get. So I really enjoyed my time mm. at West Ham. Was that with Sam Allardyce? Yeah, yeah, yeah we got promoted and, uh, uh, and, and, and the pressure was on there because, you know, it's, getting Sam in and and 
maintaining some of the players and not having a fire sale and then bringing players in like Kevin Nolan and stuff mm. like it was like a guerrilla attack on 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 the first on the premiership you know if we'd yeah. have been out the top six any time you've had the, you'd, have, you'd have had people in the stand yeah, shouting, at you, shouting yeah. at you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so we you know that's one of the times when you knew you had to do it Reading was a different thing you know Reading was we had, we had a, 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 I'd probably say Steve Copper was at, at his at his best there as a manager I think that was my best time as a coach I'm mm. sort of 42 3 4 still joining a little bit so yeah. I can relate to the players and uh, it was like uh, perfect storm, mm. you know. Every, everybody, we got the right kids there, and, and that team we had there was was very, very good. Do you think yeah. your points record's under threat this season? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Still okay. the points record, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. still yeah. the record. I looked for a brief spell that Burnley might attack it last season, but yeah. they fell away. That's the yeah. thing. Teams always they fall away, but you, you guys kept going right to the end. Yeah, we did. Well, it was. We I think we'd won it with twelve. Go- well, we'd got promoted with twelve games to go. Yeah. Which was uh, which was difficult then to to keep them going. I mean, we had two end of season trips before the season finished. You know, we went to Mob, <laughs> took them to Mob Bay for three or four days, and, and but just kept winning. You know, they, yeah. they were more motivated. We <clears throat> it's difficult to keep motivating them when it, when when you got promoted with that far go. So you say right, we've got to go on and win it. Yeah. But the players were hungry enough to want to do that anyway. We didn't really need to be into them all the time. They could see they could get a hundred points. They could see they could get a hundred goals, and, and you know that. The motivation of the team, of the players, if the, if the players are motivated, then your job's easy. What's I only up? ask that because Leicester and Ipswich have mm. both accumulated a record points tally at this stage of the season. To this stage, mm. yeah. So the, it's possible, but you have to maintain it. So. Long way to go. What what type of coach were you? Are you? You know, you talked about working with Koppel, talking work, working with Allardyce. I imagine potentially quite different managers. Do you have to kind of dovetail to the manager you're working with as an assistant? Yeah, that's that's the important thing. Um, you know, with Steve, Steve liked to take a back seat, so I was very vocal. Um, Steve would spend hours. Uh, this was before analysis has got to where it is today, and he'd have sort of three videos at his house, taping one game to another and mm. putting it into cutting it up, and he'd be <coughs> he'd be at home Saturday night. All through the weekend, looking at our opponents, you might come and say to me at staff meeting on Monday, they do this, they do that, I'm worried about this. So just sort the week out around that. Right. And he'd, and he'd be on the sideline. So I'd have a free run at that, you know, as, as long as he and I, and if I if he wanted something tweaked, he'd say, look, that, that wasn't what I meant after the training on Tuesday, mm-hmm. just tweak it again. So he gave me free reign, whereas Sam was more... He didn't really worry about things till Thursday, Sam. You know, he'd come in and and, really? he'd, and he'd just let us get on with the training. Nothing real specific, but uh, you know, he'd come out and put his detail in on Thursday and Friday. So uh, again, that was that was a bit of babysitting as well. But, but I mean, Bassett was the you'd, I'd have to say that very underrated Harry because he he got like Sam says he gets pigeonholed, but Harry got pigeonholed as well. You know, mm. he was he was he had a guy called Vince Craven who was one of Don Howe's big mates cutting videos up for us in nineteen eighty two. Opposition stuff. We're looking at Inter Milan and, and things like that. You know, very very sports psychologist Harry mm. had in very early. He was very open and receptive to new things. Harry. Yeah, I was go- that was going to be my next question. You've led me onto it perfectly. How do you look at you know modern coaching? The kind of slight fascination with tactics that we have now, perhaps more within the media than we did before. Is are you one of those people that kind of sits and perhaps sounds like oh this is this has been happening the whole time it's just got different names for it now that, or, or, that, it, or has a, it been taken that, that, is, that is a big thing there's a lots lots of different names for things now you know it's uh 
transitions. <laughs> and Ari used to call it pressurising, now it's pressing. Mm. I mean, I went to the Tottenham game the other night and they took you know, the inverted full-backs thing where they sort of clog up the midfield and let the two centre-backs have it out wide, which is great, but they're 2-1 down against West Ham with 10 minutes to go and their left-back is in inside what would be the old inside left position. I don't suppose you even remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like it, he's, he's 10 yards outside the box in a central position. I'm mm. thinking everyone's there. What, you know, why are you in there? What are you going to do when you get it? He's hardly a nippy little inside forward. He's a six foot three left back. Yeah, Should be out wide getting around the outside of people and getting crosses in. I think that's going back to the United thing. The amount of crosses United used to get him was Lee Sharp and Beckham on yeah. one side getting down the Beckham would get down the outside, but he crossed the ball in. The others, the Canchelsis getting round people and getting crosses. And United don't do that now. Mm. They, they cross and pass back to the to fullback coming on. Easiest way to defend is a cross coming from in front of you. There's no nobody getting behind people for Man United. They're trying to make their own goals and trying mm. to create for themselves. That poor sod down the middle. I don't imagine how many chances he's ever going to get. Yeah. You you also um, went and worked in India. What was that like in terms of the footballing culture? Well, it was eye-opening because uh, they tried four sports to try and fill their slot uh, because the cricket's non-stop over there. Yeah. But when the cricket isn't on, they tried to fill it with, I think, like kabaddi one year, hockey another year, and they finally got round to football. And, uh, you know, they, they got to... Hollywood stars to own teams and Bollywood stars, sorry, to own teams, and uh, they had to in, to bring in foreign players. So there was five or six, I think it was five was the quota you could have. So there were a lot of sort of Maluda was out there, a lot of South Americans and a few Spanish, alongside six Indian players. So it was different. Because the Indian the brought up on vegetarian diets mm. and they're very frail and mm. wiry and strong, but you saw that progress as they saw gym work and, and different foods and all that. So initially, it was whoever had the best five foreign players right. and hide the Indians wherever yeah, you yeah, could yeah. where they could do the least damage. Yeah. But that is now progressing, and, and the Indian players are, are, are getting much better. Yeah, uh, lots of money thrown at it, and and uh, and, and and very professional, but. Uh, there was a contrast, you know, mm. in in the the style of the players. I guess it's always going to be secondary to cricket in that country. I want good to keep talking for for ages and ages, but I want to finish by asking you just generally about football. Now, you know, you touched on some of the you talked about watching Tottenham. What what teams? What coaches? Having coached a lot yourself, what teams do you watch currently? Whether it's in the Premier League or other leagues around the world, that you really get excited by, or you admire managers, coaches, ways of playing. Well, I, I like the way that. Guardiola's so uh, flexible. I mean, he was talking last last year to Martin. Was that in the cup final when they scored that goal? Yes, yeah, yeah, where they went long. Yeah, they went long to Haaland, knocked it down. And it's exactly what Bassett was saying to us 30, 40 years ago. Mm. Besson would ping it up to Corky or Stuart Evans. Ball would drop down. Two people coming onto it, get it wide or get a shot in as quick as you can. And that's how they scored after two minutes in the cup final. So the fact that he is not a football snob, mm. Guardiola, um, don't like uh, the way the game is with the centre backs getting the ball in their in their own box and playing. Now I went to Tottenham West Ham last week. 
the two the two Tottenham centre backs and the goalkeeper were keeping the ball. The three West Ham strikers were fifteen yards off them, and they must have had twenty. That's that's not exciting to me. There yeah. was there was there was nothing in that. You know, I I cannot for the life of me see how fans can enjoy going and watching that. You know, football is about getting the ball forward, getting the ball into goal scoring areas. If you play some intricate play in the opposition's half, fantastic, and and and, and there's a purpose to it. But uh, it's it's not what I was brought up on as a football fan you know yeah. you want, as a, when I was as far as I'm concerned it's goal mouth incidents random incidents uh, blood and guts and yeah hopefully don't punch your, your know, goalkeeper's brother-in-law <laughs> well he's, he's kept clear of me since so <laughs> <laughs> there you go and probably wise to do so Wally Dance thank you very much for joining us on the game podcast Martin Samuel and Gregor Robson thank you for joining me too uh, we'll be back on Monday with best reaction to the latest weekend's action Wally thank you very much for joining us again thanks for listening Thank you.